a lot tonight, a lot of different passages, but we're going to start off with Luke chapter 15. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, my junior English teacher talked a lot about vignettes. Do you guys know what vignettes are, anyone? Do you want to, I see a head nod, you don't really, kind of talked about them? Just like mini brief stories about yourself that kind of big vignettes kind of paint a big picture of who you are. So um, what I'd like to do is kind of like that. I call them sermonettes. But to spend just five or six minutes talking about a really important thing that I want you to know, to believe, to do. Because what I want to argue to you tonight is that your time in high school is really valuable. And it shouldn't be wasted. I mean, John Piper wrote a book that made him really famous called Don't Waste Your Life. And like, sometimes I'm like, uh, really tempted to write a book saying don't waste your years in high school. Right? You want to get through them. You just want to like, try to manage the whatever, the stresses of life. But you shouldn't. And especially Christians, young Christians. Um, I was reading... Um, Thoughts for Young Men, J.C. Ryle, recently. I know a few of us guys have been through that in years past. And he writes in that book why he addresses young men. And I would just like to broaden that category. Why do we address young people? Here's the thing. Because there are so few young Christians. I'm going to tell you something. Like, Think about your high school for a second. Think of the size. And think about those who are actually walking with Christ, who know the gospel and believe in him. And then think about to your own class. And think about your own specific gender. I would like to argue that there, there aren't a lot of young Christians in the world. And it's important that you, that you guys learn to know what it's like to be a young Christian who's not just kind of faking through it and has the name Christian only by name, but that you're actually living and embracing the Lordship of Christ. So, uh, first sermonette is... Invest in relationships. Now go ahead and do me a favor. Look down at Luke chapter 15. Um, I mentioned earlier in the worship time about the the parable of the prodigal son. And this is the context to this uh, parable. So look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. Now, obviously, Jesus here, we kind of know this about him. We know that he hung out with the edgy people. That if we like to think sometimes if Jesus came down to earth again, that he would come straight into our youth group and sing all those songs about, you know, we sing Jesus the Lord of all. We say, yes, he would sing I am Lord of all and all this stuff. And, and we, we like to think that Jesus would just come with the religious people. And that's not what we see in Scripture. That he was constantly going to people who were casted off. Those who people had kind of already said, there's no way that person could ever be a religious person or a good person. Jesus went directly to those people. So we have the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And, and kind of we also know is that he hung out with prostitutes. Now, the application what I'm getting here is that you should go find the local prostitutes and hang out with them. Um, I don't know how you'd find them. I don't think it's that easy. They're not just sitting there. Um, the, the application is that Jesus models something for us here. That he never just stayed comfortable. Jesus could have just gotten his 12 
and stayed in his posse, stayed in his little circle of friends, and, and never really went outside of that. But a lot of times, Jesus, he would go hang out with people, and people would rebuke him, including this story right here. Where the religious people, the Pharisees, said, Yo, dude, what's up with this? Now, here's the thing. Um, I, I had a, a friend in high school who could have probably be put in this category, the sinners and tax collectors, right? Uh, known for partying, slept around a lot, uh, got an underage tattoo, like just kind of always known, like got in a lot of fights, but me and him were always kind of cool. He played guitar, and we both liked some of the same artists, and my young evangelistic heart was like, Kyle, man, I just want you to know Jesus, and and I, I went up to him one day. I was like, hey, man, let's, let's go to the park on Thursday and let's jam. He's like, oh, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it for sure. So come on that day, and I'm packing my guitar up for the next day. My mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm playing guitar with a friend for school. She's like, who's your friend? I mentioned Kyle and his last name. And my mom was like, well, no, you're not going to hang out with that kid. I'm like, what do you mean? He's my friend. No, no, no. I work with his mom. I know all about that kid. You're not hanging out with him. He's bad news. And we kind of got in this argument where I'm like, Mom, like, how can I share Jesus with him if I don't have a relationship with him? Mom's like, uh, you could pray for him, but you're not hanging out with him. And it felt like one of those things where I wanted to be like Jesus to his like, parents, his earthly parents. Like, I came here to do the will of my father. Who are you, woman, like, to tell me? Like, you know, like, I'm like, tr- God trumps parents, right? Like, and, and we kind of got this thing, and then I, I kind of just felt guilty to disobey my, my mom. And so... I kind of called it off. And, and there is that struggle, right? That if we go and associate ourselves with, with those kids or with different kids, that we're kind of going to be labeled or they're going to pull us down. And don't get me wrong. There is good wisdom in both sides. But here's what I'm say. Jesus never isolated himself, but he never let people influence him. Jesus was in the business of going and, and influencing others, right? And sometimes, even Jesus, do you know what he said? He said, don't throw your pearl before swine. Don't, don't give what is holy to dogs. And do you know what he means by that? That sometimes people, they're so bitter, they're so broken down, they're, they're so disenchanted with anything about religion that they're not even going to want to listen to you. And in essence... Don't, don't, don't bother. Don't give what is sacred to those who don't even want to listen. So although Jesus did hang out with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, he was also mindful of those who were open, of those who were broken, of those who had wanted to embrace Jesus. And my, my, my vision for you guys is that you want to just find your little two friends and kind of feel comfortable like you have your own little tribe but that you'd embrace the missionary heart of God. That you'd embrace the mission of Christ. That I have something that the world needs, right? Do we ever feel that pressure? I have the gospel. I have good news. I have an identity that is not based on performance or achievement or what I look like or what I'm good at. I have an identity that is based on what Christ has done for me. And other people need to hear this good news. So I think if Jesus were to be here, say invest in relationships. You know, you don't have to just invite 
your friend's youth group to have a relationship with him. I feel like I always want to give that, that kind of caveat. Like, that, that this point is not just so that we can grow the youth group. This point is learning to love your neighbor. And you love your neighbor by investing in relationships. But I want to go both sides with this. Jesus not only hangs out with sinners and tax collectors, I want to flip really quick to Hebrews 10. Now, I know those who were in Sunday school this morning heard this, um, but I think it's worth repeating. Hebrews chapter 10 in my Bible, it's page 696. Uh, one of my key life passages, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Listen, I know what it's like to be busy, to have things to do. I know what it's like to get in a really comfortable position and to feel a little sleepy and tired and realize that it's 5.30 and, ah, uh, man, youth group's in an hour, but I'm just, I'm just really feeling like a couch potato right now and I'm just going to chill. But let me just kind of encourage you with these, with these two little verses. Let us consider how that I can have people in this room do more love and good deeds? How can I be someone who doesn't neglect the habit of meeting together, but learns to encourage one another? Let me tell you something. I, I'm not blind to the reality that not all of you know each other, nor do you even know each other's names. I'm not blind to reality that if someone new walks in, um, it's not our first instinct to go say hello to them, to people who are different. Right? I'm not blind to reality that some people just don't connect well, right? Um, I, I, I don't say this to, I don't have favorites by any means, but sometimes if there's a student like Blake, who used to be a student, and he's really good at golf, I sometimes have an easier time talking to him, right? I, I get personality things. But let me just tell you something, a little sermonette. Invest in relationships. I tell you guys, from personal experience, this is just good old Aaron speaking, not the Bible necessarily. This is Aaron's wisdom to you. Um, some of my best relationships that I, I care for and I cherished came from people I invested in my communities of faith. Right? I had friends who I worked with. I had friends I met at the park. I had friends who I played guitar with. But all my friends that I invested in, in my, in my youth group, in my church, Bible college, those are the friends that still have like a really big place in my life. Matter of fact, my college roommate is coming this weekend. He's flying from Chicago just to come see me, right? Because we invested into something. And let me tell you something. If you just kind of guard yourself and, and put fences around you, you're just going to have weak and shallow, superficial friendships your entire life. And I don't want that for you because there is joy in truly knowing people. So first point, invest in relationships. Second point is this. Read your Bible. All right, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, all about the Bible. I have a few things to say about this, so I'll try to be a little brief. All right, we'll start in verse 9. Psalm 119. Psalm is in the middle of your Bible. 
Chapter 119, the longest chapter in Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as as much in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Every single verse, except for two, in all of Psalm 19, reference God's word. Now, my point is really interesting. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Here's where I struggle with that point. Our entire life as Christians, we're just kind of given our diagnosis for any sin problem, any faith problem, any problem at all is, hey, read your Bible more. I will be the first one to tell you that I had read my Bible plenty of times and I didn't feel better, my anxiety didn't go away, that uh, the issue I was still wrestling with was still there. I had read my Bible countless amounts of time and didn't feel like I learned anything. And I know that sometimes... What we kind of tend to do is we base our relationship with God on how much we read the Bible. Therefore, it kind of becomes dangerous to keep telling people, hey, read your Bible more. Because once you start reading your Bible more, you kind of feel like, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good. God must be a little more happy with me. And let me tell you something. That train of thought is so foreign to the gospel that it can plague your heart straight into legalism, that if I just do good things, God loves me more. But why do I say read your Bible? You know, oftentimes I've told told a lot of you this individually, maybe not I've actually ever said it from up here, but you want to just think for a second. The the church has been around for about 2,000 years, give or take. How many of those Christians in the last 2,000 years actually knew how to read? How many, most people in the ancient world weren't literate. Now, I do think Christianity sowed the seeds for women and more men to begin to learn how to read. I do believe that. Still, medieval times, literacy was like less than a percent. So it's interesting that we make this huge thing, read your Bible more. Most of the church in history didn't know how to read. More than that, when did the printing press happen? And when did people actually start receiving an own individual copy? I know in the medieval times, people would donate their entire farm. They would sell their entire farm just to get a copy of Romans in their own language. I mean, at the same time I say, like, don't just read your Bible to become this religious person, but, but man, like, the blessing we have to read God's word on a daily basis is a blessing that I think most Christians in all of history would have died to have, would have given up everything to have. And, and, and why do I say read the Bible? What's my real point behind this? Well, one, it helps us guard against temptation. Let's be honest. This school year, you will be faced with temptation. Temptation to cheat. Temptation to gossip. Temptation to be someone who doesn't walk in faith. Temptation to be impure, to have no integrity, to cheat. So many things. You're going to be tempted. But do me a favor. Try to recall, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? 
kept saying this thing over and over again to Satan. As it is written. As it is written. As it is written. Do you know what he was doing? In the middle of his temptation, he remembered Scripture. He let Scripture be his guide, right? I love what it says there in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man, read your Bible so that it becomes the light, the force inside you to really become someone who is guarded against temptation because guess what? It's all around us. Our hearts are sinful. It's going to lead us astray, but read your Bible so you may know how to please God. Read your Bible because it is the sword of fighting against any spiritual warfare. Read your Bible to know who your God is. Sometimes it it drives me crazy and I want to pull the hair out of my head that Christians are so quick to run into application. And don't get me wrong, every sermon isn't a sermon until there's application. I firmly believe that. But don't we ever just want to know more about God? Can't the lesson sometimes just be, this is who God is? And that's why we read our Bibles. Let me tell you something. Some of you, you try really hard in school. High five. Some of you don't try so hard. Let's work on that, right? right? We, should, we should all work hard in anything that we're doing. And this year, guess what? You're going to be signed a lot of things. A lot of homework. Some of you, AP this, running start that, right? You get homework. But here's what I'm calling you to do. Don't crowd out time for homework and forget about God's word. You know, sometimes I mentioned that not even the church knew how to read, but you know what they would do? They would meditate on it. They'd remember little portions of it. They would talk about it. They would pray over it. They'd be eager to listen to the Sunday morning sermon. So many of us, you know, we think pretty white and black when it comes to reading our Bible. We just throw it open and we try to read something and maybe it sticks and maybe it doesn't that day. But what if we got creative? What if we journaled? What if we took little bits of, of, of scripture and wrote it on a flashcard and, and chose to memorize it? What if on our mirror in our bathroom we put a verse? What if, what if any way we possibly could to get God's word in our lives, we would take it? That's my call to you. Because even Jesus, excuse me, even Jesus took time to memorize scripture to fight up temptation. All right, third point is this. Sorry, my phone is being really weird and it keeps closing my, keeps crashing. All right, um, third point is this. Be wise with your time. Be wise with your time. So little did you know, it was actually a trap when I asked you to raise your hand if you binge watched a show this summer, right? Um, now, here's the thing. Throw me in that camp too, right? But I do feel a little guilty that I watched like four seasons of a show. Um, listen, 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 listen. I think I, I, I've talked about this message before, and I'll probably talk about it again, and then I'll talk about it again after that, right? Being young puts you in such a very important, special, yet vulnerable position. Um, it is really, really easy to just kind of take time and let it just blow by. Some of you, um, I remember in the middle of high school feeling like it was going to take forever to graduate. Some of you about to enter high school, you're like, 
Man, four years, that just seems so long. I feel bad for saying this because I'm finally becoming the adult who used to tell me this all the time, but like, trust me when I say it, it does go by quick. It does go by quick. Right? I, I love the writer of Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. And here's the thing I think for you guys. It is a time to learn, to ask for help, to build friendships, to grow in goals, to make much of the time. You know, most of the New Testament, almost every letter, you can read it on a page, it says, be watchful. Be, mind the time. You know, I just read in Hebrews 10, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This idea that we talk about spiritual disciplines a lot, like praying, reading your Bible, fasting, spending time in silence, journaling, but no one ever talks about being watchful. And what it means to be watchful is to have a close eye on how you're living your life. It is really easy with these right here, with social media, with TV, with sports, with school, with friends. We just fill up our day like that. I mean, 100 years ago, I, I don't think for a second people your age had like half the amount of things to do. Like in a way, it's a blessing that you guys are afforded so many opportunities, so many fun things, so many, you know, you have so many TV shows right at your fingertips. Like, I'm still um, old enough to know what it's like to have to call the movie theater to get the show times. And if you missed it, you had to freaking listen through the whole thing again. It was the worst ever, right? Now it's like, Siri, what, what's playing? Da, 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 da. Right there. Like two seconds. But be mindful of the time. Be mindful that, that you are in a unique opportunity right now. And there are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of distractions, right? Like I, I just, there's a million things that I want to say to this point, but that's all I can say is, is be wise with your time. All right, fourth point. Don't compare with others. Let's, fl- let's flip over into Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. So we talked about this at the beach retreat a little bit, but I think it's worth bringing up again. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. The Apostle Paul here, this is what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Whether you know it or not, this little section of scripture that we just read is by far the most identity-forming passage, I think, in all of scripture. Paul here, right, right in these verses, 
pretty much lays to bear all of us. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, everyone is not just insecure, they're desperately insecure. Now, that's a really interesting thing to say. And I know insecurity, we we typically uh, cast those words off to other people who are timid and shy and don't like to talk and and all others really insecure and shy. But but you know what Tim Keller is, is kind of getting at? And even the people who come across very confidently, CEOs, pastors, parents, teachers, businessmen, anyone, he says, not only are they just insecure, is they're desperately insecure. And what he means by that is every single one of us, we have what the Bible talks about as idols. Now, an idol in the Old Testament looks like they bow down to a pole or they make some graven image of something. And remember the Israelites make this golden calf and they kind of made God the image of this golden calf and they worship these idols. For us, it's sports, it's money, it's sex. It's control. It's, it's having a life of leisure. It's having a lot of friends. It's, it's being noticed by the opposite sex. We, we, we have these things that we say in our hearts. If I have this, then I will feel good about myself. Then life will be better. If I, if I just get this, then, then I can finally kind of feel good about myself. And, and one of the nasty fruits of having different little things that we bow down to in idols is we begin to kind of check and compare what other people have. In the classroom, it is especially dangerous to begin to compare. Right? So maybe one kid is smarter than you, and that makes you feel kind of dumb, or bad, or sad, or insecure. And so our natural instinct is to look to someone who we think is not as smart as us. Or is good at us. Good as us. Something happens in sports. Something happens in appearance. Something happens in relationships, right? We don't have what we really want. So, to kind of make ourselves feel a little better, we compare and contrast. Let me say something to you. That will kill your soul. And Paul here, I, I love what he's doing. He's saying, listen... You know that feeling we all have that if only I had this, then I'll, I'll be set? Paul was like, guess what? I had it. I had, I had everything that I wanted, but guess what? I consider it loss. I consider it rubbish. Because I just want to know Christ and be in him. Let me tell you guys something. Once you can learn to truly rest and find your identity and who Christ is, that you are in him and he is in you. All the seeds of comparison, all the fleshly sins of, uh, of pornography, of overspending, overeating, all of those things begin to lose their power when we learn to rest in who Christ is for us. So listen, it's really tempting to look at other people and compare and contrast. But let me say something. That's not a very loving way to treat your neighbor. That's not a really good way to treat someone who's made in the image of God. And listen, I know what it's like in, in, the, in the world we live in. By the way, there's a there's big controversy, if you didn't know about it, I'm sure you all do, about this like Colin Kaepernick commercial, right? 
just do something if it means sacrifice everything? Listen, I don't care anything about the ongoing conversation. Here's why I think, uh, by the way, I kind of like the commercial. Here's why I think that, that commercial is dangerous. It creates in our culture again and again and again, be the best that you possibly can. Then you'll have something. And it is a dangerous lie, right? It is a dangerous lie. Hey, don't just be good. Be the best. And then you'll be happy. At some point, though, that, that illustration breaks down because you want to know something? You ready for this? Maybe your parents have told you this. Everyone can't be the best at everything. There has to be a winner. There has to be a loser. We learn that at a young age. Fourth point, though, right? Don't compare Know what you have in Christ is important. Last point. Turn to just a page over. Literally, you don't have to move your Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Very similar to this last point. Colossians chapter 1. We have to read a little bit behind for some context, but we'll start in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Here it is, verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches, the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. My last point is this. When you're going back to school, here's what I want us all to do more each day. Learn to marvel in your union with Christ. Learn to marvel in your union with Christ. Let me explain what I mean by that. Do you notice how much preface Paul had to give to that mystery? It's really interesting. He says, the mystery that was hidden for ages and ages, right? But now it's been revealed. That's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, oh, like this deep secret that's been for a long time unknown. More than that, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So he's talking about not only has it been a long time, but how great this mystery is. And what is this great mystery that's been hidden forever? Christ in you. Christ in you. I don't want to take war at this phrase too much, but I'll take a little bit of war at it. I'll start slowly attacking it. We somehow grow up thinking this expression, Jesus in my heart, is an expression we just tell little kids of how to become a Christian. I understand the premise of it, but I do think it kind of breaks down, and biblically it's not really a good understanding of what it means to be in faith. When I say learn to marvel, in your union with Christ, this is what I mean. Biblically speaking, when you become a Christian, you become in Christ, right? And he becomes in you. Now, this is really, really interesting. And I want to kind of talk for a second and tell you why it's so important. One, if Christ is in you and you are in him, that means that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you, right? That means, think for a second, the God 
when nothing was there, when there's only chaos and disorder, the God who can speak order and life into existence, that God who looks at the dust of the earth and out of that makes man and creates a good world for him to to live in it and then to see this world disappear because of sin, this good world, and the same God to say, I'm going to come and I'm going to become a man. And more than that, here's the crazy thing. God says, I will live in you. The God who threw the stars, the billions of stars into order on day four is the God who is in us. And you know what? You know what I mean? Nothing, 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 nothing can ever be more important than that. Let me tell you something. I, 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 tempted, I was tempted not to say this, but I'm going to. Don't laugh. I, was, I woke up this morning like, kind of sad that I didn't do well in my golf tournament yesterday. It was a silly golf tournament, and I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I wanted to win, and I just fell apart. I had a nine on a hole. Like, it was bad. I had, well, the last time I had a nine on a hole. But I will, I will be lying to you if I said it, it didn't affect me. And I was driving home from church thinking, like, how silly is it? to let my morning be affected on a tournament that no one will ever think about two days from now. And I began to like, kind of pause and think like, Christ is in me and I am in him. It doesn't matter if I win or lose. And you know what began to happen when I began to really soak this in, this mystery that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. That his death becomes my death. That his perfect righteousness is my perfect righteousness. That his resurrection is now my resurrection. His ascension, my ascension. That this Christ who is in me is also in my brothers and sisters, which means that there's a cooperation there, which means that absolutely nothing can change that. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you marvel in your union with Christ, that he is in you and you are in him. Let me tell you something. The small failures in life begin to matter less. The great successes in life, they're great and they're fun, I'll take them, but they don't even compare to the joy and the hope that we have in Christ. Nothing can take my hope unless I allow it to because of our union with Christ. Guys, listen, tomorrow or whenever you start school, Whatever it is. Whenever bad things happen, whenever good things happen, for a Christian, the most important thing about them is this one thing. That I am his and he is mine. That I am in Christ. And I get to celebrate that. I get to sing about that. I get to marvel in it because this mystery, which is so great, is for us, the hope of glory. And so Paul would go on to say, Him, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you know what Paul's solution to having everyone be mature in Christ is? Making them aware of their union with Christ. That we identify with Him. That we have a special mystical union. That we cooperate with Christ that we walk in Christ. 
And guys, listen. The degree to which you learn to find your hope, your rest, your success in that message is the degree to which you will want to glorify God with every part of your body. And lastly, here's what I'd say. The degree to which you marvel in your union with Christ is the degree to which you will desire to pursue relationships. It will be the motivation, the grace that will motivate you to read God's word. It'll be everything that we talk about in youth group. All the applications, all the things about going on mission trips and being a Christian, all will stem from understanding the grace that comes through the gospel and our union with Christ. So, five little uh, sermonettes. Sorry if they kind of seem jumbled, but um, invest in relationships, guys. It's important. You need to do it. Get around the room at youth group. Read your Bible. Not to get God happy with you, but to know your God, to know how to please him. Be wise with your time. Time is of the essence, right? Don't compare with others. Find your identity in Christ and marvel in your union with Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, we have this opportunity to come before you in your word. And Lord, I, I thank you for all the students who are here. And Lord, my, my prayer and my blessing over them is that they really, Lord, come to see how everything they have is in Christ. And that the only thing they need to do to get it is to trust in him, to depend in Christ have faith. So Lord, that's what I pray for. I pray that you give them hearts of faith. They would know Jesus. They would love him, that they desire to worship him, that they would know you as their God. Lord, we pray that this year in our youth ministry, that you would help us to sow the seeds of love and good deeds in everything that we do. Help us, Lord, to be people who care about each other, who are known and marked by genuine and authentic love for each other. Lord, that we would be people who desire to glorify you in all things, and therefore, Lord, we would be wise with our actions, wise with our time, that we would, in our youth group, Lord, not compare with one another, but we would pray for one another, that we would serve one another, that we would encourage one another. Lord, help us to be those people, people who are marveling in the fact that The love you have for your son is the exact same love you have for us. Lord, help us to take the losses of life less seriously, knowing who we are in Jesus. And it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, next week we will um, jump into Genesis 1. I encourage you to read Genesis 1 before next week. Um, it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to jump into the creation story with you. And other than that, uh, we have a few extra minutes, so feel free to hang out, talk. I think there's maybe some snacks left. Uh, and uh, invite a friend, someone who's supposed to be here is not here this week. Call and remind them. That'll be great. I'll see you guys later. We're going to Dairy Queen. The one in Tom Water.